You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you salute only your brethren, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was several years ago now. Bob Goff wrote a book entitled Love Does. It was a great book. I enjoyed it. I know many of you did. It became a, a bestseller. Bob Goff and his wife, Sweet Maria, took all the money and they decided to go and open uh, all kinds of schools in some of the most difficult places in the world for children. They went to go open orphanages and, and homes. They really wanted to be a blessing. And so they opened these places in, in countries like Uganda, Somalia, Iraq, Nepal. And they did it all under the branch and the title of Love Does. Well, he started working on a second book. And the second book was entitled Everybody Always. In the book, he tells about how he had a good friend who was a pastor down in, in Southern California. He finally decided in his life that he was going to leave serving a church and go start working in an inner city ministry. He opened a restaurant right beside a a housing project. And Bob said this area was really kind of full of guns and violence and theft. I like the way he described the people. He said they were scary beautiful. No, that's where they carried out this ministry. And so Bob decided he wanted to go fly and be there and help his friend. And several, Bob and several of his friends flew up to San Francisco. They rented a van and they went to this restaurant. They'd been working there about 30 minutes when Bob needed something out of the van and he went outside and there he was shocked. Every window in the van was broken out, shattered. Every one of them. All the luggage was gone all their billfolds, all their cell phones, all their computers. Now, the really bad thing was Bob had been writing this first draft of everybody always on his computer, and he hadn't bothered to back it up. And now the book was gone. Now, the whole premise of the book was based on the Scripture when Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. For God makes the sun to rise on on the evil and on the good. And he makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. That's what the whole book was about. This idea that God loves us all 
And just because people begin to sin and fall short of what God asks out of them, God doesn't quit on them. God may not be pleased, but God doesn't quit on them. And really that's good news for us all because we've all been on this side of the ledger. But if we're on this side and, and we've got people who are being mean to us and hurting us, we just soon got not loved them, but if God would get them, it'd make us a lot happier. Well, the whole premise was, what does it mean to love your enemies? And so then he gets his computer stolen with all the book. I want to read you what Bob then had to say. It's hard to believe Jesus loves the van thieves and all the difficult people we've met just the same as you and me. Yet the incredible message, love came to earth to give, was that we're all tied for first in God's mind. While we're still trying to get our arms around this idea, God doesn't want us to just study Him like He's an academic project. He wants us to become love. Are there people you should give a wide berth to? You bet. There are people in my life and in yours who are unsafe, toxic, and delight in sowing discord wherever they go. God gave us discernment. And we should use it as we live our lives. He's also given us love and understanding and kindness and the ability to forgive, which have power we often leave untapped. There's a difference between good judgment and living in judgment. The trick is to use lots of the first and to go a little lighter on the second. What I'm learning about love is that we have to tackle a good amount of fear to love people who are different. To love our enemies, the people who are different, the people who have hurt us, that's a tough saying. But Jesus asked, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? If you only love those who love you, what good is that? This morning, I want to start a new sermon series entitled Questions. The questions that Christ asked of all of us. Now, when Jesus was preaching, he would ask lots of questions of his disciples, lots of questions of followers, questions that made them go away and think. And so I decided that maybe as you and I go through this summer, Now's a good time for us to go back and look at those questions that Jesus asked that force us to look at some of our fundamental beliefs while you and I have time to think. And I wanted to start today by that first question when Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? What difference will that make? That's a good question. Three things that I want us to see. First of all, Jesus would end this passage by saying, Be ye therefore perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now that saying has caused a lot of consternation among people. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You and I know God may have all truth, all wisdom, all understanding, but we do not. How can I be perfect if I don't have all knowledge and understanding and truth? 
I, I don't think that's exactly what Jesus was meaning. It was just a little over a week ago, we, we gathered here for annual conference for a worship service where we had our ordination service. And here at the altar is where uh, Reverend Josh Attaway was ordained. You know, Josh grew up here at St. Luke's. He is now our campus pastor up at the Edmond campus. And it was a special time as we came and, and Josh was ordained as an elder in the United Methodist Church. But before you get to that holy moment, you have to be asked questions by the bishop. Questions that were written by John Wesley more than 250 years ago. They're questions that every minister has to answer. I had to answer those questions. So did Phil, so did Keith, so did Dave, so did Wendy. We all answer them. But it was fun just a few days ago to be there to watch Josh have to answer them. For the bishop stood up and he said, Are you going on to perfection? Yes, I am. Do you expect to be made perfect in this lifetime? With God's help, I do. Now, I can only imagine that his wife, Brittany, was listening to this. And she was going, excuse me, excuse me. Perfect in this lifetime? Are you kidding? Those who know us well would like to question what? It's not about saying we have all wisdom and all truth and all knowledge. We will be perfect like God. John Wesley talked about Christian perfection. And for him, Christian perfection was the idea that when everything you say and everything you do is motivated out of a love for God and a love for others. After all, it is God who always loves His creation and when you and I choose to love, everything we say and everything we do is motivated out of love for God and a love for others, then how dramatically that will change how we treat one another. And if you and I do that, then our love is growing more and more like God. We are moving on to perfection. It's not that we won't ever make a mistake. We will. But let's stop and ask, why do you say the things you say and do the things you do? How often you say things because you're angry, because your feelings have been hurt, because you're tired. How often we do things because we're mad at someone else and so we strike out. Are we doing things because of our love for God and our love for others? Or out of our own insecurities? our own pride, our own fear. When you and I choose to love one another, even our enemies, the way God loves, then the amazing thing is that you can be an incredible blessing. And in blessing not just to your neighbor that you love, you can be a blessing even to your enemy. God can use you to truly be a blessing wherever you might be if you move towards Christian perfection. Loving all that you say and do is motivated out of a love for God and a love for others. God will use you to be a blessing to all. But secondly, it is through the choice of love that you and I get set free. 
there is a reward for choosing to love your enemies. You get set free. Free from the hurt feelings. Free from from all the anger and the bitterness. When you choose to love your enemy. You know, I've been telling you about Alison Masari. What an amazing lady. I told you how when she was 32, she was in a horrible car crash and so badly burned. She's now 52. She's been on a journey for years to be able to heal physically, to be able to heal mentally, emotionally. And she has some hard-fought battles in her life that really have helped her to get to where she is now. And I think she has a message to share. And one of those messages is how to deal with people who are hurtful and people who are mean and the things that they say. I never thought about that for someone like Allison, but she said when she had been in the, after being in the hospital 40 days, she finally got to go home. She'd been home for only a, a day or two when these boils began to break out all over her skin graft. She had never seen that. The doctor hadn't seen it. She called and the doctor said, why don't you put on just your hospital gown loosely, put on a pair of shorts loosely, and then try not to touch your skin and get to the emergency room. I'll meet you there. What he was afraid of was that her skin graft was coming off a second time. And if the skin graft came off, it meant surgery again, which would risk her life. They drove to the hospital in silence. Her father went to go park the car. Her mother went to go check her in. She went in the emergency room and sat down. She'd been sitting there for only a little while till she heard a voice behind her come up and very indignantly say, How dare you? She turned around and there was a nurse. And she said again, How dare you come out here like this? You were scaring everybody to death. And Allison began to speak up. Well, I'm having this problem. My doctor said she didn't want to hear. She took Allison by the arm and led her out of the room into a private sterile room, closed the door and said, you have no right to come out in public. How dare you come out and scare people like this? She slammed the door and she left. And Allison sat there in that room and she just began to sob and sob. She finally realized this was the first time She'd been out in public since the fiery crash. First time to get out. And she said, you know, there are no mirrors in the burn unit. She said, I'd never thought about looking at myself and to think, what reaction am I going to cause people? She started thinking. And what she came to realize was this wouldn't be the only time this would happen. For years to come, People would have this kind of a reaction, say mean things, reject her, treat her so poorly. And when they did, she said, those words, their actions, they hurt so much and made me so angry and and they hurt my feelings. And she struggled with that. But she didn't want to be enslaved to all the anger and this bitterness And so she started thinking, why are people doing this? And so she decided to start paying attention. When people would have this reaction, why? 
And as she started really listening and looking, she came to realize most people were acting out of their own pain. They were acting out of fear. They were acting out of their own struggles. And as she came to realize why people might be doing this, she thought, I want to be free. I want to know peace. And then she had a thought. What what if I showed compassion every time someone did this to me? Rather than being angry, rather than letting my feelings be hurt, what if I showed compassion to people? What if I tried to be kind? She said, that day I decided to make a commitment that I would always choose to be kind wherever I was, whatever happened. And what I discovered, she said, was that the answer is love. Always. When you choose to love even your enemies, it's going to set you free of the hurt feelings and the anger and the bitterness. It will set you free and it will enable God to use you to be a blessing, not just to your neighbor you love, but to all. You have heard that it was said you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, you must love your enemy too. So third, Jesus is not asking us to make our enemy our best friend, but he does want us to love them. You know, in Greek, there are three words for love. There is philio. Philio, which means a brotherly love. It's the love you have for your family, for your friends, for the people you really care about. And then there's eros. Eros is a sensual love. It's the kind of love we celebrate at Valentine's. And then there is agape. Agape is the unconditional love that God has for his children. And it's the love that God has for us to have for one another. An unconditional love that promises a sense of respect and compassion to all people. So when you go back and read this passage, you'll see that in Greek it says we are supposed to agape our enemies, to love our enemies as God loves us with a compassionate, unconditional love. It's not filio, like you love your best friend or your husband or your wife. It is with a sense of compassion and respect that we care for our enemies. And if we do that, well, it'll set us free. But you might also be surprised at how God can use you to bless all around you. Bob Goff, in his first book, started talking about how he got involved in Uganda. Back in 2001, he had a friend who was working in a nonprofit in Uganda and was having some struggles. Bob is a, a lawyer and he came to Uganda to try to help his friend. While he was there, he was able to go and meet the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of Uganda. <clears throat> they really hit it off. 
had a good time getting to know one another. On the next trip, Bob back, dropped back in to see the chief. They continued to hit it off. Bob then invited the chief, would you like to come to the United States and be my guest? And so he came to the United States in Southern California. And Bob said, I'd like to show you my office. And they drove to Disneyland. Now, if you take someone new to Disneyland, you're going to be sure you're going to be friends. And they were good friends. But it was on that trip that the chief justice began to talk about a real problem in Uganda. And that was with witch doctors. You don't think about it in today's world. But witch doctors. There are hundreds and hundreds throughout all of Uganda. They're very powerful and everybody fears them. And every year, more than a thousand children are kidnapped and sacrificed by witch doctors. A child sacrifice. But none has ever been charged because no victim ever survives and everyone is afraid. And the more they talked, Bob said, if you ever have a case, I will come and try it. It wasn't too long. He got a phone call from the chief. There was an eight-year-old boy named Charlie. Kabai was the witch doctor who was head of all the witch doctors in the northern part of Uganda. He had kidnapped Charlie, taken him out into the bush in order to sacrifice him. He had mutilated him and left him for dead. But he survived. He went to the police and there was a lineup and he picked Kabai out as the man who had harmed him. They finally had a victim who was willing to speak up. The chief called and Bob hopped on a plane and he flew to Uganda. He went to go meet with Charlie. Would you testify in court? He then began to go visit with all the different eyewitnesses to build a case. But the big thing was, could they ever find a judge? Everyone was afraid. Bob really expected that it wouldn't happen, but finally they found a judge who said he would take on the case. And as soon as he said he would, that night all these witch doctors surrounded his house and began to do all these creepy things. And the judge responded by surrounding his house with guards who had machine guns. He wasn't going to back down. And so they finally went to trial. Bob said, looking into Kabai's eyes, he was the most evil man I had ever seen in my life. But they began to present all of their case. But it all finally came down to Charlie, who took the stand, an eight-year-old boy who was willing to stand up and look out there and say, that man tried to kill me. The judge listened to it all. He went away. He came back, and he pronounced the verdict guilty. Kabai was going to be sent to a maximum security prison for the rest of his life. He would never be seen again. And in Ugandan tradition, the judge signs the order. He then breaks the pen, throws it off the desk and says, may it never be changed. Kabai was going away. The first witch doctor in Ugandan history had been convicted and was being sent to prison. And all Bob could think about was, there was this small boy who went and picked up five stones and went out to go fight a giant. And he changed the history and course of his country. 
And now an eight-year-old boy had just changed the course of Uganda. Word would go out to 41 million people throughout Uganda that Kabai, a witch doctor, had been convicted and sentenced to prison forever. Bob felt really good about that. He was the enemy. He didn't care if he rotted in prison for the rest of his life. It's what he deserved. But some time went by, several more trips, and Bob began wondering about Kabai. He felt good about justice, but he wasn't feeling as close to God. And so he decided, for whatever reason, that he wanted to go see Kabai. He got permission, and he was able to go to the prison. Kabai was brought in. They met in a small room. And when Kabai came in, he knelt down on one knee, and he said, I am so sorry for what I did to Charlie. Sorry? Yeah, right. You're just sorry you got caught. They sat at the table. They started to visit, and Kabai began to explain what was life like being raised the son of a witch doctor. He began to explain what witchcraft had done to his life. And now, having been in prison, he began learning about the gospel. And he said to Bob, I know that I will spend the rest of my life here, but what I really need is forgiveness. Forgiveness? You're a murderer. You tried to kill Charlie. Forgiveness? And Bob said then he thought about a man on a cross looking at all the people who had put him there and saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The two of them walked out into a courtyard, the jail courtyard, arm in arm. And there these prisoners were gathered and Kabai began to talk about what it meant to him to be a follower of Jesus. And Bob said the truth of the matter is he butchered the gospel. He was so confused about the story. It had to be the worst, best sermon I ever heard. But you could tell something was stirring in his soul. Bob decided he needed to continue on and to get to know other witch doctors. And so as he started coming back, what he started doing was he would put out word across the country, the consulate from the United States to Uganda, which he is, well, he's coming and he wants to meet with all witch doctors. You're required to come. Now, now they aren't required to come, but they thought they were. You're supposed to meet at the king's house. And so hundreds would come. But before they did, Bob always set up a sting. He would get there and go to a village and he would have a friend with him who had a watch that was a camera and a pen that was a camera. And Bob would go to the local witch doctor and say, if I need a child for a sacrifice, can you get me one? And the answer was always, yes, 30 U.S. dollars. He would get the recording and then he had all these witch doctors together and they would show the video and he would say, do you understand if you harm a child, we will get you. We're always watching. 
We know what's happening. We will get you and you will go to prison for the rest of your life and never be seen again. He said, I wanted to threaten them and you could see their eyes get big. I was working. And when he got through with showing and the statements, then he said, he got down on his hands and knees and washed their feet and began to tell them about what does it mean to be a person of power who is called to serve all. And he would talk about Jesus. Well, it made an impression. The witch doctors want to talk more to him. And Bob got to thinking, to love your enemy doesn't mean you just show respect. If you love your enemy, maybe it means you help them. And so Bob said to them, what can I do to help you? What do you need? And the chief witch doctor said, you know, everybody thinks we have lots of power, and so they want us around. But nobody really likes us, and so we feel very alone. And Bob said, I know just that feeling. I'm a lawyer. But the witch doctor went on. Most of us don't know how to read. We don't know how to read. We feel isolated, alone, reject. We don't know how to read or write. And so Bob thought about it and thought about it, and he decided to start a witch doctor school. Not to teach them how to be witch doctors. They already knew how to do witchcraft. No, he wanted to teach them how to read and how to write. And so he opened these schools in order to teach them how to read and to write. People thought he was crazy, but they begin to come by the hundreds. And what they used to teach them how to read and write were just two books. The New Testament and his book, Love Does. And so they learned how to read and were always getting a lesson as they did. They've now graduated three different classes. Hundreds are still involved. When Bob said it was one night he was back in the States, it was in the middle of the night, then from the other side of the world in Uganda, he got a phone call and it was two of the witch doctors who had graduated from the school. And they said, there's a new local witch doctor and he's kidnapped a boy and taken him into the bush in order to sacrifice him. There was this long pause and then they said, should we go get the child? By now, Bob was wide awake and he's jumping up and down and hollering, yes, yes, go get the kid, go get the kid. It was four hours before he got a text. We have the child. And then a little while and he got the next text. He is back safe with his mother. And then a little longer in one last text that said, Love does. To love your enemy is to do to help them. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said you should love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, you should love your enemies. For when you choose to show love to your enemies, to show agape, 
Well, it's going to set you free from your hurt feelings and anger and bitterness. You're going to love in such a way that God can use you to bless life, not just of the neighbor you love, but of all people. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? If you only love those who love you, then what difference will it make? That's a good question. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.